Well, I hope you're as excited today as I am about part two of our scheduled award podcast because I finally get to break in some good information that's very practical that lots of guys ask me about. So you're going to enjoy this second part. There's a lot more information here that you can wrap your head around. I know the last one was very dense. That was a tough uh, assignment to have to read through the rules. Hey, hey, I wanted you to know that these rules exist. The boarding is not my own. These are straight out of federal law. And uh, now that you know, I think you're better off for it. And I think that um, everybody benefits when you understand that this is really the way it is. These are not my words. This is stuff straight out of the manual. And yeah, it's dense. It's not fun to listen to. But I'm telling you, it's important to know your rights. Know the law. Then I get to talk about how it's interpreted, how to use it, how to, to be practical, how to make, um, make, you know, make yourself be successful. Okay? So, those of you who are new, uh, I hope this isn't your first podcast because um, if it is, well, first, welcome to Federal Workers' Comp Coffee Break Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Taylor. I'm a Federal Workers' Compensation Consultant and a medical provider in, um, in the Florida area and other areas around the country. Uh, I work as a consultant all over the country. I have three or four hundred clients um, over the years, 27 years. Um, this podcast is part two of a series, so if you're here, you should go back and listen to part one before you continue. So I would suggest you stop here and go back and listen to part one as we start part two. But if you're new to the podcast or um, uh, you're here for the first time, I will tell you that uh, here at this podcast, what we do is we discuss all sorts of topics related to OWCP, the FECA Act, Department of Labor, Longshore, DOD, any other type of federal workers' compensation. If you work for the government in any capacity, um, this is a short coffee break format that we discuss common topics related to filing, uh, things like appropriate claims, rules and provisions, rights and responsibilities. And then I like to cover tips on how you the injured worker can successfully navigate the federal workers' comp system in all its divisions to assist with your claim. So, without further ado, we're going to dive into part two. I'm going to get my coffee going. And then from the coffee, we're going to start getting into scheduled awards. Because scheduled awards, this part is your money. And it's important for you to know this stuff because, hey... It's your money. All right. In order to receive, okay, a scheduled award, the person must be rated by a physician. Now, the physician has to be certified and qualified to and trained under the AMA Guides to the Evaluation of Permanent Impairment 6th Edition. Okay, that's otherwise known as the AMA Guides 6th Edition. Now, prior to receiving your impairment rating, you have to be MMI'd. You have to reach maximum medical improvement for that impairment rating, which is referred to as MMI throughout this podcast. Now, this impairment rating should not be for the whole body. It should be done in a percentage for the injured body area or body part, such as 25% of the right lower extremity. That would be an example of how it should be listed as an impairment rating. When your physician rates you, your physician is required to reference the page number and the paragraph of the 6th edition guides to the evaluation of permanent impairment that relates to your permanent impairment. Now be aware that you do not have to have um, surgery or accept surgery before receiving a Schedule War. No invasive procedure can be performed on a claimant if he or she objects to it. 
Okay, it's one of the few things you are able to object to. Invasive procedures are considered anytime you penetrate the skin, such as injections or other procedures such as surgery. So remember that when you're considering doing impairment ratings. Now, what should the employer do when an employee files an initial claim for compensation due to disability or impairment? So let's go over their part. First of all, when you are disabled by a work-related injury and you lose pay for more than three calendar days or have a permanent impairment or serious disfigurement as described in 5 U.S.C. 8107, you shall, uh, I'm sorry, the employer shall furnish the employee with Form CA-7, although you can get off the forms list on the OWC website, for the purpose of claiming compensation. Now, for the employer, if the employee is receiving continuation of pay, the employer should give Form CA-7 to the employee by the 30th day of the COP and submit the form to OWCP by the 40th day of the COP period. If the employee is not returned the form to the employer by the 40th day of COP, the employer should ask him or her to submit it as soon as possible. That's another reason we use CA-7s. Now, upon receipt of form CA-7 from the employee or someone acting on his or her behalf, Okay, the employer shall complete the appropriate portions of the form as soon as possible, but no more than five working days after the receipt from the employee. The employer shall forward the completed form CA-7 and any, any accompanying medical reports to OWCP. So OWCP clarifies schedule award procedures, including how pre-existing or non-industrial, I want you to know those two words used, interchangeably, medical conditions affect these important permanent disability awards. So the form CA-7 is what's filled out by you and the employer in order to um, qualify for your payments from your impairment rating. If you do an impairment rating and submitted with all the medical documentation, it has to be followed up with the form CA-7 or you're not going to get qualified for any money or any payments. Okay, so understand the CA-7 is just as important as acquiring the appropriate medical evidence. Now, there's been a lot of problems with Federal Employee Compensation Act uh, in recent years. And so in FECA, they came up with some new bulletins and they started those bulletins. And remember, FECA is Workers' Compensation for Federal Employees, the Federal Employee Compensation Act. Okay, there are cases in the amounts of wards for permanent impairments that have been all screwed up. And so I want to talk about common misunderstood and misused categories that claims examiners and second opinion doctors attempt to utilize that are not included in the DFEC procedure manual or code of federal regulations. The word I'm going to refer to that they like to use in their own private conversations is called apportionment. Now, under federal law for workers' compensation, there is no apportionment. We read that in the previous podcast, word for word. It's written into the law. Okay, That is, if your employment contributed to any degree to the medical condition causing the disability, the entire disability is covered in full. Even if, it, if you're old and you're degenerative, you got arthritis and you have pre-existing non-industrial components to it, if that condition has deteriorated or aggravated or been accelerated or precipitated by your activities at work, the entire disability is considered despite having non-industrial non components to it. Now, why is that important to know? Because claims examiners try to deny cases with this all the time. They basically ignore the law and try to suggest that the pre-existing conditions 
such as degenerative changes or arthritis, etc., are not rateable, and they're going to not allow them to be part of your injury or not be part of your impairment rating. I've already read you the law. I just did it again. So you know that law exists, and they're inaccurately interpreting it. They try to circumvent that law by saying that the portion of your injury that is pre-existing, say degenerative or arthritis or whatever, is not compensably accepted. It's not included in your injury, and that portion is not qualified to be accepted as a work-related portion of your work-related injury or is rateable as an impairment or scheduled award. They are wrong. OWCP claims examiners and their little small team of examining second opinion physicians around the state you live in have for years been calculating some scheduled awards based only on the work-related portion of the disability or impairment. For example, if you're a worker with pre-existing arthritis in, say, your left hip, who injures yourself at work, let's say you uh, require surgery and you get a torn labrum, and now you have more hip impairment due to uh, both medical conditions, a pre-existing arthritis and a torn labrum. Ignoring the hip arthritis would be incorrect to be evaluated with regard to the surgical results only for your impairment rating up for a scheduled award. They like to ignore this arthritis portion commonly in second opinions and with the claim examiners because they say, oh, well, it's not compensable, it's not compensable. But it is written into the rule that it is component of your full function and it was affected. So this is how they use what they call apportionment, which are where they're slicing and cherry picking parts of things philosophically so that they can lower your level of impairment and your scheduled award. This apportionment is actually against the federal rules and provisions of the FECA Act. And we read that. So know your rights and write this down to present this to your claims examiner. Okay. I'm going to read it again. This is straight from the first podcast, straight out of the DFEC procedure manual. Quote, there are no provisions for apportionment in FECA. So impairment ratings should include both work-related and non-work-related impairments to the affected body part if they were aggravated, accelerated, precipitated by the work activities and impaired function was a, a consequence of your work activities. That's the law, period. Apportionment by definition, uh, if you're going to look at the act of apportioning, the condition of having been apportioned means distribution or allotment in proper shares. So what they're doing is they're, they're, they're slicing and dicing and cherry picking it. So in layman's terms, they're picking and choosing the portion that they want to accept in bodily injuries and ignoring other portions that they believe is pre-existing or outside of the federal comp coverage, ignoring the law. Apportioning injuries and ignoring pre-existing or degenerative arthritic portions have never been correct. You can't do it under the rules. It specifically says not to. And they have resulted in large numbers of appeals that have to be filed just to present the applicable laws, rules, and provisions of the FECA Act. And these guys know that this stuff exists. They're just going to fight you until you have to get an attorney to understand your own laws. Well, I'm telling you how to do it without having to need attorney. Know your rights. Okay? Um, there is no apportionment in these Fed comp cases, and therefore scheduled awards most of the time are qualified for higher impairments and scheduled awards than most people receive. 
Now this is what aggravates me about most claims examiners cherry-picking what they want to accept. They know they're circumventing federal law under the FECA Act, so let's go over what the FECA Act actually says about this, okay? In FECA, transmittal number 1702, we call this a FECA bulletin, okay? Commonly known as a bulletin. It was number 1702, and it was issued in 2017. OWCP revised its actual DFEC procedure manual. They actually changed the rules and provisions in 2017 to clarify a number of things regarding permanent disability and scheduled awards. Most people are treating doctors and federal injured workers are not aware of these changes and how it affects your MMI, your impairment rating, and your scheduled award. Okay, so let's go over what they say in the bulletin. First of all, this part. When OWCP District Medical Advisor, we'll call them a DMA, that's your referee doctor, from now on we will call them the, D, the District Medical Advisor DMA. When the DMA disagrees with a second opinion doctor on an issue, the dis, this disagreement doesn't create a conflict in medical evidence requiring yet another evaluation. But trust me, claims examiners attempt to schedule these anyway. It goes on to say, when OWCP has already sent you, the injured worker, to a referee, an independent medical examiner, there's no need for the government to have the DMA review the referee's opinion. Referees see injured workers when the treating doctor and the government doctors disagree. This change only applies, however, when the referee report fully resolves earlier conflict in medical opinion, provides a thorough explanation of the medical impairment, quoting the pages and the tables and the paragraphs of the sixth edition guides. There's a third part, okay? This is an important one. This should result, okay, in larger and more timely scheduled award. This last part that we just talked about. And the injured worker where before errors had been made in the award calculation that resulted in appeals and other challenges, if the awards are going to be calculated correctly, you, the injured federal worker, can avoid long delays or costly appeals and the correct higher amount of accurate scheduled award benefits will be paid in a timely manner when you present these facts that I'm reading to you in a timely manner. That last part that I talked about is important because they'll keep sending effort to referee doctors until they get somebody to agree with them. And it, it's disqualified by rule. Another thing to cover here in this FECA transmittal number 1702 bulletin from 2017 is that this change clarifies that the disability rating must include all conditions affecting the affected body part as of the time of the rating examination. That's important because it's revisiting what we talked about in the rule. This means that under the explanation, a worker could suffer another injury after the work-related initial injury, but before the rating exam. And the effects of that extra injury would also have to be included in the rating. It also means that the effects of any other non-industrial injuries, that's pre-existing injuries, have to be included in the rating as well. Guys, I'm reading it out of the bulletin. Those are not my words. This is word for word in the bulletin. You can look, up, you can look this up yourself. All this makes is clearly outlined administratively, okay? But we exist in a very adversarial time in the system uh, is trying to be more adversarial, but the system is not designed to be adversarial. Other state workers' comp systems are adversarial, where you have 
lawyers that can fight for both sides. FICA is not designed to be an adversarial system where both sides uh, fight it out with lawyers. Litigation in other workers' compensation systems is often complicated by the need to apportion disability, ascribing a percentage to different causes. But because those are adversarial systems, they're set up that way, okay, where both sides have, a, uh, have attorneys and a judge makes a decision. FICA is not designed as an adversarial system by rules and legislation that could handle such disputes. It also makes perfect sense legally, guys, since the federal rules against apportionment means there's no need to attribute percentages to various causes. So the practical explanation here is that it is difficult for a doctor to determine how much the knee, for example, in the above example that we talked about, was affected by more than one cause. <clears throat> so they allow in the rules of federal workers' comp to cover all of the area and all that it's involved. Now, how many people listening out there knew that? See why I tell you that you should share this podcast with your co-workers? Most people have no idea the rules, the provisions, the laws that are applicable to their your money. All right. These cover relevant items in this procedure revision of 2017 are unobjectionable. And they should result in much faster resolution and adjudication of your scheduled award claims if you present this stuff in advance of your impairment ratings. Let them know, hey, I know the rules. I'm quoting the rules. I'm going to include the rules. Okay? Considering how slow OWCP is to finalize so many of these actions on FICA claims and presenting these facts with your CA7s and 17s and 20s, all that stuff, and your physical medical physician's medical narrative with his impairment rating, it should speed up your settlement in your scheduled award claims if you just let them know in advance that here's the rules, I know what they are, here's what I expect. The claims examiner will let you know that, or she will know that you know your rights and you know the federal rules, and she will not be able to circumvent them for delay. There are other types of awards for permanent impairments and FICA claims. There's things such as include um, uh, lost wage benefits, for both, post uh, wait, wait, for both partial disability and total disability. But those are not affected by this change of 2017, this bulletin and procedure manual. So you can look those up and we'll discuss them at a different day. <clears throat> all right, we've covered a lot. So let's review. We've covered a lot of material in these two podcasts. So I want to make sure you understand. In order to receive a schedule award, you must be rated by a qualified and approved DOL OWCP physician. He has to use his AMA Guide 6th edition. Prior to receiving your rating, you have to have your doctor state that you've reached MMI, which is referred to as maximum medical improvement. And this rating should not be for the whole body, but it always has to be you know, an injured body part, like we did the example, 25% of the right lower extremity. Okay, when your physician rates your injured party body part, Make sure his report, his medical narrative with the impairment rating, he cites the page number and the paragraph and the table of the six edition guides <clears throat> in his report, okay, as part of his impairment rating. Remember, we covered already that you, not, you do not have to accept a complete surgery for receiving a scheduled award, and no invasive procedure can be performed on you if you object to it. <clears throat> what should the employer do? We talked about that, about the CA7. Okay, don't forget, um, when you're disabled by a work-related injury and lose pay, okay, you use a CA-7 for the purpose of claiming compensation, 
and you you know the filling out it, the most of it is for you but there's a portion that's filled out by your employer and that has to be included as part of your impairment rating now one last thing before we wrap up this second part of the scheduled award of this two-part series listen if you end up with a high enough impairment rating due to your medical condition causing a lot of impairment or illness that is presenting you for being qualified for performing your original official duties <clears throat> or requirements of your job or any limited or modified duty offers you may want to look into filing for federal disability retirement so i just want to touch on this real quickly because i get asked this a lot okay i want to go over this part so that i can give you so much information that you can you know be headed in the right direction on this topic because each branch of service in government has different employment packages for disability and retirement make sure you get with hr make sure you look at your employee contract and agreement depending on which federal retirement system you fall under you'll either need to file for civil service retirement system known as csrs disability or first FERS disability which is the federal employee retirement system now one thing I, I do know here on the disability topic is that before you can be considered for disability retirement under either of those systems, you need to apply for Social Security Disability, whether you qualify for it or not, but you got to apply. <clears throat> before you attempt for Social Security Disability, I must warn you, this stuff can take a long time. So I'm going to give you some helpful hints here, okay? I've been in practice for 27 years. I need you to know that this is a mess. It's difficult. I don't like it either. But I want you to hear this. All right, you, here's your helpful hint. You need to gather and organize all of the pertinent medical documentation for all of your medical problems, not just your workers' compensation related injuries. Okay, that's illness, injuries, impairments, etc. This means any medical records for any medical conditions that have nothing to do with workers' comp. That could be asthma, high blood pressure, arthritis. You get the idea. They're going to look at you in total. They want to know everything about you medically, not just your workers' compensation, which means you got to go to all the doctors you've seen that have relevant documentation to document whatever medical conditions that you are being treated for because it's all relevant medical evidence for qualifying for Social Security Disability Retirement. So remember, all physical and medical problems apply. It does not have to be work-related. Now, here's the problem. Good luck with getting all your medical documentation from all of your doctors in a timely fashion to establish all of your medical conditions. <clears throat> the government reimbursement for the copies of your records is terrible. You wouldn't believe how cheap it is. And most doctors just throw the stuff in the garbage and don't respond because it's a hassle. They have to answer questionnaires. Uh, they have to fill out forms and then they have to make copies and they, they get paid like nothing for it. And it's most people hate doing it. So tracking this stuff down to get all of your medical records will take a lot of effort on your part. So you're going to need all the examination and medical opinions from those doctors. And then you're going to need an examination and medical opinion from experienced doctors that know how to qualify you on the basis of your medical and physical condition reporting. Okay, that's also important. There are not many doctors that are well trained in disability qualification. Okay. In our office, we have a Dr. Thomas who's a career naval doctor who's worked in the VA and the DOD and he's worked in government his entire career and he's worked with me in multiple locations and he knows OWCP. So he knows VA disability, impairment ratings for Social Security, impairment ratings for OWCP. He's a real expert on this stuff. 
So I, in our office, we get a lot of referrals for that kind of stuff. So it's important to find the right doctor for your qualification assistance who's not only experienced and knowledgeable, but experienced and knowledgeable on the specific disability qualification requirements for each relevant disability qualification category. They're all different. Otherwise, it'll take you years and lots of denials. All right, guys, I hope you've enjoyed that. This wraps up the two-part series on scheduled awards. Pretty uh, lengthy information. Not really dense, but a lot of information. <clears throat> we touched on MMI. We touched on the impairment rating. We talked about scheduled awards. And we wrapped up finishing with disability. So I hope you benefited from this and you learned a lot today. Uh, I hope I answered a bunch of you guys' emails I've been getting. And uh, I hope that uh, if you think you benefited from this, that you can go ahead and start sending this out to other people that you think would benefit from So that does it for this episode of Federal Workers' Comp Coffee Break Podcast on scheduled awards. Uh, like I said, lots of information. Hope you have a better understanding of your rights and responsibilities on this subject matter. Hey, what I tell you, it affects your money. I want to thank you for listening. I want to remind you to share this podcast with other federal workers who you think would benefit from this information as usual. And uh, if, you're, uh, if you're in the Florida area and you need an approved uh, medical provider for DOL or OWCP, Longshore Case, Department of Energy, DOD, VA, uh, you can find me in Tampa, two different locations. You can find me in Jacksonville, soon to be Oklahoma, in Oklahoma City, to make a consult with me to discuss your case. Or if you know someone in Florida who's recently injured, you can tell them to call my clinic, 813-877-6900. And listen, if you're in another state, and you want me to assist you with your claim or you want to ask me questions, you can always email me. If you want to help your doctor, I don't mind helping your doctor for free. Fire off your questions. I do this as a free service to you. You can email me at fedcompconsultants at protonmail.com. I know I can't be everywhere. I can't see everybody. And sometimes you need to teach this stuff to your doctor. All right. So I'm about done with my coffee. Probably need a little warmer here to wrap this up. As usual, I want to thank all of you who put on that uniform, that badge, deliver that mail, take care of our veterans, and make this government run. This is a big thank you to y'all. I do this for y'all. I do it for free. Uh, I couldn't do this. We couldn't do this without all the work you do. And so this is a big thank you. Remember, if you're an injured federal worker claim and you need assistance, I'm here to help. So see you next time. Off to get my coffee warmed up. You guys have a great day. Hey, by the way, I think I'm going to do second opinion doctors and referee disputes next topic. Don't want to miss that one. That's a hot button topic. See you later.